1: Hi there. Yes, indeed. Welcome to the Fred Files podcast. See All the guitar science you can handle. I am a guitar scientist. My name is Eric Daw with 25 years of experience building and repairing guitars. Sitting beside me is my lovely co-host, Melissa.
0: Greetings. I will read the listener submitted questions and Eric will try to answer them the best he can, drawing on his experience as a professional luthier.
1: That's what we do. It is not a comedy podcast, contrary to popular belief. Did you see our new review that we got? No. Uh it said something like you know, it's a good podcast and often hilarious. Oh. When grandpa lets Melissa's sense of humor shine through. <laughs> so I appreciate all the reviews.
0: It's funny cuz I always feel like I'm shutting Eric down. Really? Do I sh- do I shut you down?
1: How so? I, I don't know.
0: I don't know. I just feel like
1: I don't know either. I am so proud though to tell you that you know i'm we're we're coffee snobs around here, uh-huh, we just don't drink bad coffee. we right. love coffee. The best coffee I've found also happens to be our sponsor. How fortuitous is that?
0: It's pretty awesome,
1: so I have to let you know this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Apex Coffee Roasters based in Waco, Texas, Apex Coffee Roasters searches the globe for the best coffee beans available, roasting them in-house to unlock the natural aromas and flavors that make each cup an individual experience.
0: I get up real early. He looked at me like I was supposed to say something, so I'm going to say something. Uh, I get up really early, a lot earlier than Eric, and I like to sit and enjoy a nice cup of coffee in the morning, and it is it is an experience. It's not just, it's about the routine and the ritual and the, the flavor, and it's My favorite part of the day.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And it's always Apex Coffee. It's our favorite. And they sponsor the show, so show them some love. Tell them thanks for sponsoring the show by ordering coffee from them. If you go to ApexCoffeeRoasters.com, you can use the promo code PINUP at checkout to get 10% off. That's PINUP, P-I-N-U-P. That's at ApexCoffeeRoasters.com. What's new with you, Melissa?
0: Uh, I'm working through my customs. I opened customs last month. I guess it's March now. It's been five weeks, and I got, man, just a flood of orders.
1: Oh, good for you. Yeah,
0: I'm booked till, I think, July.
1: Wow, awesome.
0: So, uh, I've been working through some orders. I'm doing an apron and a handbag right now. Good. What are you working on?
1: I just finished up the very last custom build, custom ordered guitar. Sweet. The very last custom ordered pen up guitar. And now I'm going to start making just make the guitars and then offer them for sale. Neat. Yeah. That's what I'm gonna start doing in March. So look look for that. Uh if you're not on my email list, you won't get the heads up and you won't get you know, the people on my email list are gonna get first notice and they're so they're gonna get first First dibs. First dibs, as as the cool kids say.
0: Uh, yeah. First,
1: first dibs
0: brand new slang you know from gen z
1: so uh if you go to pinupcustomguitars.com and uh down at the very bottom of the front page you can you can uh sign up for the the email list and i'll make sure you get notified um what do you think i don't let's see we did not have any calls oh okay uh so let's do some uh
0: Let's read some emails. Yeah,
1: let's do some some emails. Letters. We get letters.
0: We get stacks and stacks of letters. Eric and Melissa, Eric, did you ever fix the speaker cabinet for your self-made tube amp you made out of a tape player or build a new one? I suspect with all the work you have, it may have been moved to the back burner for a while. I agree with the suggestion to reinforce the sides with birch ply and put in a new baffle board. It would be nice to hear it again if it is finished.
1: Well, uh, let me take that. Uh, I di- I took it out of that um, flimsy little cabinet, mm-hmm. and I put it in a cabinet that my buddy Jeff Metz uh, had. Uh, I-, I think he tw- he retweeted it. It was like a little it was like a little Blues Jr. that was in a fire or something. And it had been gutted, and so it was just a cabinet, and he retweeted it, and I bought it from him, and it's a decent little, you know, plywood cabinet, a lot more stout than the, uh, the Masonite, um, reel-to-reel player cabinet that I had it in. Mm -hmm. That reel-to-reel cabinet looked awesome, but it just, I mean, it had, like, two-tone vinyl, you know, really cool grill, it was cool, but it just sounded garbage, sounded like garbage, so... Uh, I had to put it in something decent, and my buddy Jeff just happened to have a little amp cabinet that worked great, so I put it in that, and it sounds good.
0: And Jeff and listens was, to the show. I
1: was happy. Uh, I was happy to put it in there.
0: Yeah. Hi Jeff.
1: Hi Jeff.
0: Uh, now a question for Melissa: Since my hollow, my since my semi hollow is neck heavy, I have always used a four to five inch wide leather strap. Wow, that's wide uh that is rough on the back and smooth on the front and it has always worked to hold the guitar where i want it. I can't tell from the pictures on Melco leather if the backs of your straps are rough or smooth. Would a rough back strap be a custom option? That's from Ron in the Ozarks. Yes, Ron, i can do either one. You just got to let me know. I usually leave my the backs of my straps rough-ish, you know, just a, enough texture to uh give it a little grip. I used to i used to make them smooth, but i got a lot of complaints about neck dive so mm. i i changed
1: would you, would the best option be suede
0: i can do that too yeah i mean it just adds to the cost
1: sure but i mean as far as uh the best option for keeping a strap from sliding it might be suede
0: yeah right? uh, i mean the back of leather is usually just rough enough that it, it should mm. it'll act as suede oh all right would act so yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess it could possibly be too smooth, but I don't, I think just leaving it plain would be just as effective as adding suede.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Ron.
0: Hi, Eric. Heard you talk about your in parallel out of phase middle position wiring on one of your podcasts. That sounds super cool and useful. I was wondering if that's a sacred, if that's sacred knowledge or if you'd be willing to share that schematic. Do you need four conductor wire for your pickups from your pickups? Can it be done with only a three-way tele-blade switch? Any info would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, man. That's from Peyton.
1: I have a few different kind of, uh, they're not top secret, but they're, you know.
0: They're kind of of.
1: I don't really distribute those schematics, um, but I'm not sure which one you're talking about. I have a five-way one that I do, and uh, let's see. He says, I heard you talk about your in-parallel-slash-out-of-phase-middle-position wiring. Uh I I'm not sure which schematic he's talking about but um no you don't need four conductor wire that would be um that would be for a humbucker you you do need three conductor wire from the from the neck pickup and there is there there's one schematic that I do that uses a three-way switch just a regular teleblade switch but I'm not sure which schematic you're talking about but it doesn't matter I'm going to be um, putting together my the schematic book I've been talking about forever. I'm going to do that this year. I, I've committed in my mind that that's something I'm going to do. Even if it's just something that is just a 10-page PDF download on my website or something, yeah. I'm going to do that. I've got three or four of them already drawn up. I just need to draw up kind of the rest of them. And...
0: Yeah. Well, and yeah, I keep thinking that you're going to write a book, but really all you need to do is draw up the schematics, right?
1: Yeah, and I have them all kind of chicken scratch drawn out in my giant schematic binder. I'm just trying to make them nicer and draw them up on a computer and make them easy to read. Right. Because I, as they are now, I, I, f- I feel like I'm the only one that can understand them. Right. Because they're just, you know, it's like they're in Egyptian hieroglyphics. But yeah, thanks, Peyton. I, I really, I will be putting together some schematics uh and make them available for a a small fee. So I'll announce it on the show when I finally get it done.
0: Hey, Eric. Brilliant podcast, my friend. Could you please tell me why people wax pot their pickups? Will it make a single-coil pickup have less hum? Is it just to protect from interference? What's going on here? Thanks. That's from Eddie in Southern California.
1: Cool. Thanks, Eddie. Uh, No, it doesn't have anything to do with hum a single coil pickup will hum the exact same amount, whether it's been wax-potted or not, and it doesn't do anything to filter out stray RF interference or anything like that. It's very simply to um make it solid, because if it's not s- solid, uh then it can s- have squealing feedback, right? So imagine, you know, The wire going around the magnets is thinner than hair, and it's just a very, very fine wire, and there's thousands and thousands of turns, and you've got your guitar plugged into your amp, and your amp is loud. Your pickup will hear your amp as well as the strings if um, if the coil is loose at all. And so what happens is it starts amplifying the amp also, and then you get this feedback loop, and you get it. It's like pointing a microphone right at a at a speaker. It goes ooh. You know. I mean, it's a bad. Right. It's a bad noise. And that's why they call it microphonic because it really does start to act like a microphone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It, a pickup that's that has a loose coil like that, you could shout into it and you'd hear it come out of the amp. Wow. So um, uh, so it's it's to keep them from being like a microphone. Now I actually like them slightly microphonic, and it's a fine line, because if they're too microphonic, they squeal, but if they're just slightly microphonic, then you get this, uh, you get this magic effect that is kind of infinite sustain, and the, the amp starts pushing back, like, if, I don't know how else to describe it, I used to talk about this with the harmonica player I know, he, you know, you cup the microphone, I'm cupping the mic here on the podcast. If you can't tell, <laughs> because it's a because it's a a video podcast too. Um, so, but harmonica players cup the mic, and um, he used to talk about how he it almost felt like this this pillow of air when you'd start getting this f- controlled feedback loop that wasn't the bad squealy kind of feedback, but the good kind of mm. uh, musical endless sustain feedback that you'd get and it just felt like this cushion of air and you could just barely play and the note would just go and you can get that with a guitar too. And, uh, I, I have, there's about four times in my life where the resonant frequency of the stage or something was just magical. And the, the, the interaction between my amp and my guitar was just like I was floating on a pillow of air and just this, this magical thing happens <laughs> and your guitar just goes into this infinite sustain and you can hold a note and you, you don't have a bunch of distortion, but you, you can hold a note and it just rings out and you can just be barely playing. And the tone is just mountainous. It's a magical thing, anyway. It's something that has happened to me a few times, and I've really, really tried to capture it in every pickup and every guitar that I make. It's it's hard to do because it's even with the right combination, guitar and amp, slightly microphonic pickup, it'll only happen if you're standing in the right spot, and the acoustics in the room are right, and I mean it's a really it's a delicate thing. Uh-huh. I'm way off base from yeah. what he asked here but I you just are. got I just got off on a tangent. The reason that they wax pot pickups is so they don't squeal. Okay.
0: I'm glad you're passionate about it though. It makes me happy. Really?
1: Yeah. F- Cuz sometimes I feel like you wish I'd shut up.
0: Well, sometimes I wish that too, but
1: thanks Eddie, thanks for uh, sending in a a question. <laughs>
0: Hi Eric and Melissa, is the break angle from the nut to the tuning keys as important on an electric as it is on an acoustic? I recently bought a Tele build with uh locking tuners. The part of the tuner to which the string attach s- strings attach sits quite high from the headstock, and so the break angle where the string leaves the nut toward the tuners is very shallow. These tuners were on the guitar when I bought it. If a greater break angle is desirable, would swapping them out for standard tuners on which you can wind the string down closer to the headstock be the answer? Many thanks and best wishes. That's from Ashley in North Ireland.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is a consideration. If if um, if you're not noticing a problem, then you could probably just let it go. But what you'll get is if, if the break angle from the nut to the tuners isn't steep enough then you start to get weird overtones and sympathetic, you know, vibrations that aren't good, and maybe some sitar-sounding, you know, open strings, right, when you're not fretting.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But, yeah, plus they just look goofy. Modern tuners with their tall cap stands, uh, why do they do that? I really do, I prefer um, dainty little you know, short vintage tuners. Because they do, they do, they, they have a better break angle. They they provide a better break angle, right? So, I mean, I'm assuming that, yeah, so what did you say? Locking tuners. So there's no, so there's no winds. So, and that contributes to the fact that there's, that there's not enough break angle. Because mm-hmm. the winds, you know, you get three winds, and then the string leaves the capstan. So, so the string leaves at a lower point on a traditional tuner. Yeah, I'd I'd put different tuners on it just because I don't like locking tuners. That's just me. I don't know. But you might have to uh, get you might have to get uh, conversion adapter bushings for that if it's if it's got the uh, you know the threaded kind of bushings that that thread into the mm. tuner base. Thanks, Ashley.
0: Hi, Eric and Melissa. Sorry about my question last time. You
1: should be. I, <laughs> wait, who is this?
0: I asked the question about the tusk nut and replacing a nut on an inexpensive guitar that gave you a headache. Oh. (laughs) It was definitely not worded well. Well, that's okay. Uh, I was attempting to ask, on a six-string guitar, I want to replace the nut with one made for a seven-string. On the nut, I either want to cut off the low B side or the high E side to make it fit. Would this work? Thanks. That's from Joe in Virginia.
1: Thanks, Joe. That's
0: much clearer. We Mm -hmm. can... Figure yeah,
1: that one out. And no problem on your question yeah. being not worded well. Totally. Uh, nothing is really worded well have on you this heard, podcast. Yeah, I don't have know you if you've heard, heard the podcast? show or not, but we uh stumble all over ourselves. It probably won't work. Uh the the slots are need to be in a really specific place. Um and so if it does work, you're that means you're just you just got really 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 lucky. But my point is why Why would you want to do this? He wants to replace the nut with one made for a seven string. Why? I just can't think of a reason why that that would be.
0: Uh, He probably just has those things on hand. That's what I would guess.
1: It's probably not going to work. And again, why? You know, make a bone nut for it. That's what I'd tell you. Thanks, Joe.
0: Well, that's easy to say when you're a professional luthier, but maybe he's just a hobbyist and he's never made a nut before.
1: Well, do you listen to the show? Because it's you know maybe you maybe uh, maybe it's time to practice. Maybe it's time to get some nut files and I don't know. So
0: you're gonna wax poetic about microphonic pickups, but uh-huh. you can't answer a question about how to make a nut.
1: I did answer it. I said it's not, it's probably not gonna work. Okay. Those pre-cut nuts those pre-cut plastic nuts and yeah tusk is plastic i it, you can't get me excited about those it's not gonna <laughs> happen you cannot <laughs> i could be drunk on a bottle of vodka and i you couldn't there's it's not gonna happen sorry
0: okay sorry joe we love you anyway hi eric on deaf eddie's famous five-tone telly super switch mod what exactly is series and out-of-phase wiring? Is this different than just regular out-of-phase wiring? That's from Bill.
1: Huh. Good question, Bill. I've always wondered who Deaf Eddie is.
0: I thought he was calling. He was saying that you're deaf because your nickname's Eddie.
1: Oh, nobody knows that. Nobody l- listens to the show knows that.
0: Oh, well...
1: Melissa Eric- calls me Eddie.
0: Eric Da, E-D, Eddie.
1: Yeah. Uh, but... I've always wondered who Deaf Eddie is. I've seen his schematics floating around the internet forever, but I've never really looked into it. He's obviously a guitar guy. I don't know who he is. Maybe he listens to the show, unless, unless he really is deaf.
0: Unless, unless you have multiple personalities.
1: So, um, yeah, series and out of phase. It is it it it's describing two separate but you know kind of related things. Out of phase, of course, is just um well, any pickup has a phase, any single coil pickup has a f- a phase, and that that relates to the direction clockwise or counterclockwise that the electrons are flowing okay uh i mean i well there's two ways to answer this question he's is he does he want to know? How it sounds, or does he want to know the technical description of what it really is?
0: I think he wants to know the technical description.
1: Well, in a series circuit, pickups are wired one to the next. Okay, so you've got two pickups, wired in series. They're wired one to the next, so the signal's going through the pickups in a series, as opposed to parallel, where the pickups are working independently. And And that affects the sound. I mean, in series wiring... The pickups sort of um, build onto each other, on top of each other, and they work together to cre- to create a bigger sound, like like a humbucker. That's a series uh, wiring. Two single coils wired together in series is, is uh, creates a bigger sound. So, uh, as opposed to parallel wiring, parallel wiring each pickup's output is halved by the other. So, I don't know if if you're following this at home, but um, that's the difference between series and parallel. So, And then out-of-phase wiring is where one of the pickup's electrical polarity is reversed by, by reversing the direction of electron flow by wiring the pickup backwards, you know, hooking up the negative and the positive leads backwards. Uh, but only... So you'll have two pickups. Only one is wired backwards, and then that's that makes it out-of-phase with the other pickup. And that creates that, like, hollow, scooped-out... Out-of-phase sound. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the pickups actually will, what they do when they're out-of-phase is they will cancel out similarities between the two. They cancel out similar frequencies. So what you end up hearing is the difference between the two pickups instead of the combination of both of their frequencies. So out-of-phase settings can sound quite thin. So we use series wiring to beef up the sound and keep it from being too thin. So series and out of phase is just um, the pickups are uh, different polarities and hooked up one to the next. So one side of one pickup is hooked up to the ground, and then the other side of that pickup is hooked up to the next pickup, and then the other side of that pickup is hooked up to the positive it's so it's so hard to describe on an audio podcast. I could draw it for you if you were just sitting here, but that's the technical description. If it's uh if it went over your head, I'm sorry. But I don't think it I don't think it should. I don't know. Did you get anything out of that? Do you care?
0: Uh Melissa well,
1: doesn't care, guys.
0: I, the dog was messing around, the kids were yelling over the baby monitor. I gotta be honest, I was not listening. I'm so sorry. I'm <laughs> sure it was great.
1: <laughs> I'm sure it was I'm sure it was great, but what it means is it's gonna sound cool, and that's what it really means. I like the out of phase sound it's a cool, stinging hollow, kind of scooped out sound that uh some notable players are famous for like Peter Green and albert king um It's just a cool sound that I really like some some of the uh some of the original tellies, fifties and sixties tellies. They were never wired so that the two pickups work together at the same time, but people would rewire them so that they would, so you'd get both pickups on at the same time, and they would oftentimes get the phase wrong, uh, and you'd you end up with a lot of 60s records that have a cool out-of-phase sound, and I don't know if it's on purpose or not, but like a lot of Booker T and the MGs, a lot of the Steve Cropper guitar tones cool. are uh, out-of-phase. Yeah. It's a cool sound. I love that sound. Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks, Bill. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I have a question about staining and finishing a mahogany strat that I'm building. I would like to achieve a Gibson style cherry red finish similar to an LP Junior or an SG. My question is, what process would you follow to achieve this? I'm a little confused about what order to apply stain, grain filler, sanding sanding sealer, and nitro finish. Appreciate your help, and I'm still loving the show after all these years. That's from Joe in Australia.
1: Thanks, Joe. You know, I'm not sure how Gibson does that at the factory or or how they did it back in the day or if it has changed. I don't know, but just looking at the old... Uh, cherry Gibson finishes. Here's how I would do it I would do a light, either lacquer wash or sanding sealer, and then I would do a dark, uh, grain filler or pore filler, <clears throat> and then sand that back so that the dark pore filler is only in the pores, and then more sanding sealer, and then sand it, and then I would do a red, uh, uh, spray coat. So like red toner or a little bit of red dye in in lacquer. That's what I would do. I wouldn't stain the the wood red. <clears throat> and I don't know how they like I say, I don't know if this is how they did it. This is how I would do it. Uh sanding sealer. Just a a little bit. Uh dark pore filler. Sanding sealer. Your red coat and then a clear coat, and you could put a little bit of amber in the clear coat if you wanted to make it look vintage, because um, nitro ambers over time, it yellows over time. That's what I would do. I mean, that's uh, that would be my basic finishing schedule for that. Cool. Yeah.
0: Thanks, Joe. Eric and Melissa hope all is well in sunny Idaho Falls. I'm kind of out of guitar questions these days because Eric has answered every question I've ever had on this podcast. I did have a comment about the plaque machine that was brought up on the last episode. I agree with Eric that they are unnecessary. I did watch a YouTube video about a store that had one. The cool thing they did with it was scan the neck of a guitar and the machine rendered a 3D CAD picture to see if the neck was twisted, bowed, or somehow out of whack. They said they did this with all the higher-end guitars that came through the shop to protect themselves before shipping guitars out. They said they would scan any guitar for $30 and give you a copy of the scan. I thought this was more useful than the actual fret level it's capable of doing. It's just a CNC machine, right? So maybe it's not totally unnecessary. Not worth 100 k though, either. Love the show. That's from Zach in Seattle.
1: Cool. Thanks, Zach. You know, I think there's a place for them. I I just don't want one. I'm just an old-fashioned guy. But you know, a really high-tech shop that really likes super fancy, expensive machines. I mean, it's you know, I don't fault anybody that that has one. It's I don't think that they're I don't think that they're useless. I just think that they're overkill for a guy like me. Yeah. But um.
0: Yeah, a really high uh, traffic shop that gets a lot of guitars in. I could see why that would be does it take a long time?
1: Well, there's different there there's different kinds of there's different kinds of guitar techs. <laughs> and I don't know how I don't know how to put this. But <laughs> like
0: there's good ones and there's no, bad ones, there's, okay?
1: <laughs> that's not what I mean. Like <laughs> a guy who pl- who plays gent music on a, s- a seven-string ibanez. Uh-huh. Might really like a shop that has a pleck machine. Okay. A guy that plays a vintage guitar might prefer a tech more like me, right? Right. But I would hate to see a vintage neck, a vintage guitar be put in a pleck machine. I that just that just gives me the shivers. Like I don't like something could go wrong here. Yeah. You know? But um. Yeah, put your 7-string Ibanez in there. That's great. I don't know. Yeah. But you know, well that's what I mean. There's different kinds of shops. Like there's a there's a shop that they everybody specializes in different stuff. And some luthiers and some techs are just way into tech and tools and like, you know, yeah. Like German precision uh crazy over the top pleck machine kind of stuff.
0: Right. And good for them.
1: And I have, you know, my old rusty files that I've had for for 20 years. So there's just a different kind. It's just different, you know. Yeah. It's just different kinds of shops, that's sure. all. So there's a place for the pleck machine, but not in my shop. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back after this. We've talked a lot about neck straightening irons on the show, and people write to me and they say, Eric, where can I get one? Well, until now, I didn't have anywhere to send people because nobody makes them anymore except for my buddy Rick at PlayersGearMusic.com. You can go to PlayersGearMusic. You can order a neck straightening iron. Some people call it a neck press or a neck heater. It is an invaluable tool in my shop. I use it all the time. I'd be lost without one of these. I, I love having a neck straightening iron, and Rick is making a really, really stout industrial. It, I, I think it, I think it's the best one that I've used, and I've, I've used a lot. I've made my own. I've used uh, the commercially available ones that they used to sell in the 70s and 80s, but they don't sell them anymore. Well, now you can get one from PlayersGearMusic.com. They're seven forty-nine. I know that seems like a lot. It's it's a tool. I tell you what, it's going to pay for itself a hundred times over. If you go to his website and make an offer for six ninety-nine, and mention the Fret Files podcast, six ninety-nine, free shipping, and it's yours. A neck straightening iron a neck press, a neck heater, whatever you want to call it. Playersgearmusic.com has them, and you need one. I'm telling you, it's an invaluable tool, indispensable. I'd be lost without mine. So go to playersgearmusic.com and check it out, and don't forget to tell Rick that the Fret Files podcast sent you. Do you have any idea what I do with my time? Let me tell you, it's consumed entirely by building custom guitars, repairing and restoring guitars, making custom guitar pickups. I make uh, replica blackguard bakelite pickguards. These are all available online. You can go to my website, ericdaw.com. That's more the repair side of things. To see what's going on there, I've got a price chart. I've got, you know, pictures, examples of work. I've got a custom pickup order form. I would love to help you with your guitar repair or restoration or, uh, just, you know, whatever you got in mind, shoot me an email, whatever, give me a call. If you want to see the guitars I make, go over to pinupcustomguitars.com. That's P-I-N-U-P, like pinup girl. I always feel like I have to spell it. I probably don't. You uh, understand, I'm sure. Anyway, check it out and uh, I'll see you there.
0: Hey, Eric and Mel, I'm writing about a guitar I just recently purchased. It's a 1964 Martin F55. Yep, one of those funky electric Martin guitars that people ignored and then turned their noses up at since their release. But maybe they are cool after all. Have you ever seen one of these before? They sport DeArmond Dynasonic pickups, similar to the Gretsch or Guild guitars at the time. They sound great to me, but Martin themselves and purists have chosen to ignore their existence. In the b- Martin Guitars book by Dick Boke and Richard Johnston, uh, they say the necks and bodies were fine, but the pickups and hardware were not the same quality as the rest of the guitar. And today, one can't help but mourn the regular D28s and D18s that didn't get made as a result of these ill-conceived electrics. I thought this was pretty funny. Was just curious to hear your thoughts. They are exactly what I think of as being a cool guitar and I would love to know if you feel the same. Cheers. That's from Daniel in Brooklyn.
1: Thanks Daniel. Yeah, they're cool. I've worked on several. I've seen a, f- a few. They're they're very cool. You know, the problem is that guys who are typically into Martin guitars are not going to be into those. And that's why the Martin book kind of disparages them because Martin guitar freaks are into, you know, flat top Martins. They don't care about a Gretsch-looking uh, you know, oddity from the 60s, but they're very cool guitars. They have um, you know, dearmant pickups like a lot of Gretsches do. They're they're super cool. Uh, I've worked on a few that had some problems that scared me. Um, one of them uh, well, I've seen this a few times. The The wire that they used uh, was a uh, a shielded wire, you know, internally for all the wiring. So there's a, you know, just like Gibson shielded wire where there's a braided shield and then and a cloth insulator and then inside that is your, your lead. But the Martin guitar, instead of that, cloth shield being cloth it was like an old plastic and it was it was breaking down and cracking and so you'd get sections where it would crack and then the insulation and the internal wire would um touch and short out the whole guitar in different places and you know randomly all throughout the wiring and so you know, you could move the wiring a little bit, and it might jump back to life, and it's it was just a real problem. So, I've seen a few of those where the whole guitar had to be rewired, because the the wire that they used uh, had a problem with the, the plastic insulation between the shield and the lead breaking down. But, that aside, very cool guitars. I like them. They're neat. I don't have any, you know, but it's I appreciate them. They're cool.
0: Cool. Is there a risk in refretting a guitar too many times if done right? I have an old Esquire you did an amazing refret on. I play it a lot, but worried about fretware. Could you personally refret a guitar five or more times and it would turn out okay? Or should I spread out the playing time among other guitars? <laughs> Thanks. That's from Nick in Utah.
1: Thanks, Nick. You must play a lot, Nick. Yeah, I just refretted his uh, 50s Esquire this year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, you you start to run into trouble because the fret slots get fatigued. So, you know, there is kind of a, a point of no return and kind of diminishing returns. I don't know how many times you could, maybe four, five, six times, maybe. I don't know. I remember reading about Rene Martinez, who's famously uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan's Guitar Tech. He refretted Stevie Ray Vaughan's number 1 Strat so many times that it just got to the point where the fret slots were just wide open chasms that just wouldn't hold wouldn't hold a fret anymore. Um but there are guys uh I've talked to quite a few luthiers who purposefully cut a wide slot and then epoxy in the frets which is a crazy thing it's not what i would do but it i some builders do that not very many but it's but it is a technique that some builders do so i suppose if you refretted a guitar so many times that the fret slots were just way too wide to hold a fret anymore you could use epoxy or super glue and uh you know clamp them into place it would it would take a long time it would be a you know a labor of love but you know i think you'd have to play that guitar a whole lot for this to become a problem in 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 your lifetime you know but it's a consideration you know yeah so maybe spread out some playing time on some other guitars i don't know some guys who uh uh Favorite guitars refretted will go a little bit taller than they normally would on the frets so that they can get a few more fret levels out of them. Like the vintage-style frets are 80 thousandths by 40 thousandths. And Stumac makes a wire that's 80 thousandths wide by 50 thousandths tall, so 10 extra thousandths of an inch. Which just means that, you know, after that first fret level, now you're down to, you know vintage size yeah so that's something to think about too but um again like i said I, you i can probably i could probably refret that guitar a whole lot of times before uh y- you know before it would be a problem so not a big worry Sorry, we have a dog running around our uh, podcast room, which is just full. It's like the floor looks like somebody dumbed out a bowl of spaghetti. It's just (sighs) covered in wires, and she keeps knocking plugs out and running around and chewing on microphone cables. And it's really helpful. It's really, really good, really good, really, really helpful. We can't
0: leave her alone upstairs because she will just chew everything up and bark. And so, yeah. Uh, hi Eric and Mel, just got a new standard Strat used. It all checks out, but I had to adjust the tremolo a bit to make it flush to the body. Plays great so far, except the B string is giving off a bit of a sitar-esque sound. It does not seem to be fret buzz. I checked the string is sitting nicely in the nut and the saddle. It does not do it when I fret the notes. When I fret notes from the first fret up, it still does it if I play really softly, though. Could it be the nut slot being wide? Any educated guesses for me? I put a little graphite in the nut slot, and that did not fix the problem. Thanks. That's from Rusty in Columbus, Ohio.
1: Thanks, Rusty. Well, graphite isn't going to solve that. The only reason to put graphite in a nut slot is to keep it from binding in the nut so that you can, as as you bend or as you tune, the string can, can roll in in and out of the nut slot, or, you know, through the nut slot right. freely. So graphite isn't going to help you. My guess is that you've got a, a slot for that string, because he says he says it doesn't happen when he frets the note. Right. So my guess is what you've got is a nut slot that is not cut correctly. It should be slanted with the low end toward the tuners and the high end toward the first fret the nut slot needs to be sloped mm. so that the leading edge of the string can produce a nice pure tone as it leaves that slot if the slot is cut flat then it it kind of it's allowed to kind of vibrate in the slot and you get sitar-esque tones so that's my guess is that the slot needs to be angled back toward the tuner and you can do that without even touching the leading edge so you're not lowering the overall depth you're just lowering the depth of the back half of the slot mm-hmm. but that's my guess that's my guess on what's going on there thanks rusty
0: hello eric hello melissa i hope things are going well i have two quick unrelated questions about guitars and one about leatherworking First, why is it that ground wires tend to all converge on the back of the volume pot in a lump and blob of solder? Wouldn't it be cleaner to have a single wire soldered to the pot and then have all the ground wires twisted and soldered to the other end of it? No. Second.
1: Well, I'll answer that. Hold on. I'll answer that. Uh so um no, I don't think so. So I mean, you're thinking of like how they wire a house, like you like you have all the all these wires come together in like a wire nut. Um uh, that's not, uh, that's not how I would do it. No. You, you, you want to solder them to the back of a pot. He says, uh, why do they all converge on the back of a volume pot in a lump and blob of, of solder? You can do that so it looks clean. You, you know, if, if you've got a really good hot soldering iron and your soldering chops are good, you can do that and it will look clean. I've seen plenty. Of tinkerers who can't get a clean look doing that, but I promise it can be done, so that's really the answer is that it, it needs to be done properly to look right, and also it's just a solid way of doing it i you wouldn't want um you don't want to solder you don't want to twist wires together and solder them off and tape them off or something that's really that's really unprofessional that's not what I would recommend.
0: Second, do you have a source for all of your various screws solely? Sorry. Do you source all of your various screws solely from Luthier supply shops? Or do you have suitable alternatives? I feel like I'm paying a premium for a screw just because it happens to be used for a pick guard or a bolt on neck or a truss rod cover. Yeah. Also, waiting for delivery from Stumac in the middle of a build bites. Ouch.
1: Yeah, I use, um, I, I order bulk. Pit guard and neck screws, and I get them from a place called Blacksmith Bolt and Rivet Supply. That's a secret. That's an insider secret.
0: Ooh. I don't
1: think I've ever talked about that on the show. Blacksmith Bolt and Rivet Supply, they sell guitar screws. The trick is, they don't tell you. Like, here's a Fender-style pit guard screw. They will say, you know, here's a, whatever it is, here's a, you know, number three uh, half-inch sheet metal Oval head, yeah, Phillips head, Phillips, whatever it is. So you have to know what you're looking for. That's the trick. It's not easy to order from them if you don't know exactly what you need. But if you know what it is that you need, then um, and with a little bit of research, you can find that out. And please don't email me and ask me <laughs> to tell you what all the different screws are because I don't have time for that. But yeah, blacksmith bolt and rivet supply they. They have a great selection, and it's much cheaper than, you know, ordering screws from guitar uh, wholesale, uh, well, you know, guitar parts suppliers.
0: Finally, since I'd rather make something myself than have it be cost effective or come out good,
1: <laughs> logically, <laughs> sure,
0: I'd love to try making a few guitar straps myself. Do the basic leatherworking skills and tools all apply for this, or are there things I can skip? Maybe there are some things I should be paying more attention to than with general leatherworking. Thanks. Hope 2021 is off to a running start. That's from Richard in New York.
1: Thanks, Richard. 2021 is off to a running start. You know, the thing about 2020 is that uh, everybody got to sit around, and now... Now we all feel real energized. Oh yeah. And we all just feel ready to go. We I, just we got a it's like we had a year off. Oh
0: yeah. I was thinking today that it's March again now. We should just erase the last year from our collective memory.
1: I think we did. Wasn't it March last month? Oh yeah. I'm being sarcastic yeah. obviously, Richard. 2021 is uh,
0: We're doing great. Yeah. Um I don't know. I mean it depends on how crazy you want to get with guitar straps, Richard. If you just want a an effective guitar strap that will work, all you need is a box cutter and some leather, you know?
1: That's true. Uh, Maybe a hole punch from Harbor Freight.
0: Right. I mean, you can get into burnishing edges as much as you want, or the artwork as much as you want, or, you know... So I, what I would do if I were you is I would just get on Amazon and order. I think they have like a $30 beginner leather working kit and mm-hmm. that will have everything that you'll need. Yeah. And, uh, and also just don't, don't buy a big height of, of leather. Just buy some straps. Mm. They, they sell pre-cut straps and then all you have to do is cut off the ends to the length you want. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Right on. I recently performed some setup work on my newly acquired Heritage H535, which is a 335 style guitar. Cool. It has a stoptail with a Nashville style bridge. While researching proper stoptail height, I saw recommendations to raise it to where all the strings barely clear the edge of the bridge. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with this? I do. In order for strings to clear the bridge on a low E, I had to raise it quite a bit. I raised the treble side to near match it. The link below contains some photos. Does this look proper? Thank you. Your podcast has been a blessing to me. That's from Earl
1: Thanks Earl uh, yeah he sent some pictures and um, yeah you know I agree it's just about making sure that the strings don't aren't, aren't hitting the edge of the uh, Nashville tunematic. You can get away with a lower angle when it's the thinner you know ABR1 style tunematic. The Nashville has a wider bridge, so that tailpiece will end up sitting a little higher. If it's too high for you, you can do the old Billy Gibbons trick where you put the strings in backwards through the stop bar and wrap them around over the top. I don't really care for that myself, but a lot of guys do. But yeah, just you just barely want the strings to clear the back of the um, bridge. That's That's right. I like that. Thanks, Earl.
0: Hi, Eric and Mel. I've got two questions for Eric. One, is it possible to yellow mother-of-pearl inlays in a rosewood f- fretboard? If so, what do you recommend? Number two, is it possible to remove a dent from a guitar body? I'm considering removing a small dent from a Japanese guitar that I believe has a basswood body with a metallic poly- polyurethane finish. Should I not do it and just live with the dent? Thank you both for your time. The Fret Files has become my favorite podcast. That's from Randy in Alberta, Canada.
1: Yeah, it's... Uh, thanks, Randy. Yeah, it's possible to, uh, to yellow those inlays. Um, you can use a stain. Uh, I use a, concentrate, a concentrated amber stain, and uh, that works. You know, uh, that does work to, to dye those Mother of Pearl inlays. Uh, I think the concentrated amber stain I get from Stumac is what I use, and that works well. Uh, he also says, Is it possible to remove a dent from a guitar body? I'm assuming... Oh, okay, yeah, metallic polyurethane finish. A dent. not a So, like, not a chip, but a dent. Um... You yeah, I don't I'd I'd have to see a picture of it in order to give a real good recommendation. If it's literally just a ding and there's no cracking or damage or anything like that, but just an indentation in the finish, it could be filled with uh CA glue and then sanded smooth and buffed out and it'd probably look pretty good. But it would have to be do it, it would have to be done really right, you know, you'd have to really need to do it professionally because the potential of making it look worse is, is real. So, yeah. But if it's just a little dent in the finish and there's no actual finish damage other than an indentation, that's, that's an option. It could be filled with CA glue. Thanks, Randy, and thanks, everybody, for submitting questions. We appreciate it. If you want to participate in the podcast, you can go to my website, ericdaw.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment there. We'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call or text. We didn't have any calls or text this time. Maybe I should check and see if that number is working. But uh, the number is 757-774-8482. You can call or text that number anytime. It's just a voicemail drop box, and then then I'll use that as part of the show. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you next time.
0: Good night.